Welcome back, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello. Oh, you're exactly right, Joe. We work for the man upstairs as you do. You're setting me up quite well. You just gave me an alley-oop. The greatest revolutionary act you can commit right now is to open your mouth and speak the truth. Whether you're an academic or you're a regular guy, we have to be fearless. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go into the breach. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to The Frontline with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo, as always, joined by Joe Resinello. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go into the breach on the Veritas Catholic Network, 1350 on your AM dial, serving the New York metropolitan area. Please be sure to download the Veritas Catholic Network mobile app so that you can have access to all of our station's content. And please be sure to follow Joe and I on Facebook and YouTube. You can find us at The Frontline with Joe and Joe. Like, subscribe, share, hit the little bell for notifications, do all that fun stuff. And today we are very pleased and honored to be joined by Phil Lawler. And we are going to be discussing, amongst other things, Phil's new book, Contagious Faith, Why the Church Must Spread Hope, Not Fear in a Pandemic. For those of you who uh, who do not know Phil, I want to give uh, Phil a brief introduction to our audience at the Veritas Catholic Network. Phil Lawler is the editor of Catholic World News, the first English-language Catholic news service operating on the Internet, which he founded in 1995. <clears throat> Excuse me. Born and raised in the Boston area, Phil attended Harvard College and did graduate work in political philosophy at the University of Chicago before entering a career in journalism. He's previously served as director of studies for the Heritage Foundation, as editor of Crisis Magazine, and as editor of the international monthly magazine, Catholic World Report. Phil is the author or editor of 10 books on political and religious topics. His essays, books, reviews, editorial columns have appeared in over 100 newspapers around the United States and abroad, a pro-life activist and veteran of many political campaigns. I did not know this. Phil was himself a candidate for the U.S. Senate in 2000, running against the late Senator Ted Kennedy, married since 1979 to Lila Marie Lawler, father of seven children, grandfather of 16. Phil Lawler, welcome to the front line with Joe and Joe. Thanks for having me. Excellent. It's our pleasure. Um, we always begin with the uh, prayer, Phil. So uh, in the name of the Father, Father Son, Son, Holy Spirit, Spirit amen. amen. Remember, our most gracious Virgin Mary, never was it known that anyone who sought your help or sought your intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, we fly into you, a virgin of virgins, our mother. To you we come, before you we stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word, incarnate, despise in our petitions, but in your clemency, hear and answer us. Amen. St. Dominic. Pray for us. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. It's funny, Phil. Every time we, we, we always, it's, it's like our custom. We always start with a prayer. It's like, I feel like I'm back at Queen of Peace High School when uh, brother would start class. And they'd be like, Our Lady of Queen of Peace, pray for us. Pray for us. Then we'd start the class. So it's, uh, I, every time I do that, I think of that. But uh, let's start, I guess, uh, we'll get right into the title of your new book. Uh, what do you mean by co uh, contagious faith? Well, it's a play on words because we're, it's a book about the uh, COVID epidemic and the response in the church and in society in large. And so it's a book about people who are worried about contagion. But I try to make the point that the church, the healthy Catholic instinct should be to spread the faith and that when this faith is lived out in its fullness and proudly and unapologetically, it's contagious, it spreads and it overcomes the fear. It should overcome the fear that has been driving so many people's lives for the last year and some change. You know, I, I would agree with you. The faith is contagious when you see it lived out. I mean, I could speak about my own, uh, you know, walk as a Catholic, um, when I met the Franciscan Friars of the Renewal, when I met the Missionaries of Charity, Joe and I also uh, work with the Sisters of Life, um, all different, but at the same time, they live the faith in a radical way and it's contagious. I see how people react to them. Um, sometimes people who are very secular, how they change. And uh, I absolutely agree with you. The faith is contagious when it's lived out the way it should be. That's right. And they're very, you make a good point. There are variants. You know, we're hearing a lot about the variants of the COVID virus. There are variants of the Catholic faith. There are different ways to live it out. 
Absolutely. They're all contagious. Just like all saints. I mean, I've, I, one of the greatest reads I ever had was a book on the saints that gave like maybe a, a paragraph blurb. Um, there's some common threads through them all, but they're all different. There's a big difference between Joseph Cupertino and St. Augustine. Right. But they're both saints and they right. both did great things and they both furthered the Catholic faith. Like you said, contagious faith through their example. Yes. Phil, you wrote in an article from a couple of months ago that, quote, granted the COVID epidemic is a very big story, but every sentient reader already knows about the crisis. An occasional reminder about the statistics would surely serve. The, now, here's what I want to ask you, Phil. These headlines are clearly unnecessary. So why do they continue? You say, because fear is powerful. Fear sells. Phil, my question to you is this. Um, who's doing the selling? And what exactly is being sold? That's a really good question. And you can go as deep as you want into conspiracy theories. I don't think it's necessary to go very deep. Uh, it's not a conspiracy if you're doing it out in the open. Uh, and if you look at the mainstream media, you see day after day after day, the headlines telling you to be worried, telling you to be fearful. And well, let me ask you this question in answer to yours. Who does it benefit when people are afraid? It benefits the people who have or claim to have a solution to, the, to their fears. It, it benefits the people who want more control of your life because when you are fearful, you're looking for some port in the storm. Uh, it, 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 benefits, it benefits people who are in power or people who want to be in power or people who want to enhance their power. Mm. It's funny. I, I mean, I wish, Phil, we say on the show all the time, I wish people would just take a, even just a superficial read of the 20th century and you see how these despots, you know, whether it, whether it was Stalin, whether it was Hitler, how they, how they consolidated their power. And, and most of the time, if not all of the time, it was based on selling fear to the people. You need me, as you said, Phil, you need me to, to find the solution for you. Therefore, support me. And I just wish people would get that through their heads. Like well, you there's said a flip side. You're absolutely right. But there's a flip side to that as well. Uh, when you say you need me, uh, the opposite of that is saying you can fix this yourself. And to me, that's been the genius of the American people. That's, that's how we started off as a people, you know, as uh, before, even before the American Revolution, as a colonists, uh, colonies of, of Britain, but Britain is thousands of miles away. You have to solve your own problems. And the whole idea of the American Republic is that people are capable of solving their own problems. Sometimes you, gain, you work together with others in your community, but you solve, you, you solve your own, you're a, an adult. And even more so, a Christian could think that, you know, you're a baptized adult, uh, you're a child of God. You have what you need to solve your own problems. Sure, you're going to need help. Uh, and when you need help, you get help. But you don't have to turn your life over to a nanny uh, to solve your problems. And, that, and that's what it, it seems that that's what people are just so willing to do. And it's, and it's based on what you said. It's based on, well, I, I'm so fearful of getting COVID. So I'm going to give, I'm going to just defer to Dr. Fauci and, and, and the regime in Washington. And I'm not going to take it upon myself to, let's say, for argument's sake, Phil, not to belabor the point, but we accept risk every day we wake up. Uh, right. You know, we accept all sorts of risk and we're not fearful. We get up and go to work and, and bring our kids to school and do all these things. But this particular um, this particular crisis, the COVID crisis, it's like it's like something that make people make it seem like, well, the world's never seen this before. Well, yeah, kind of actually we have and we deal with it. And I think it's like you said, we need to be adults about it. I think in a lot of cases, not all people are not acting as adults. Let's break it down uh, even like at a more granular level. I mean, fear, uh, basically, it, it, it hurts us on, on the most like everyday like aspects of our life. I mean, let's talk about that. Let's talk about getting out of the boat as Catholics. I think the devil uses fear. I mean, people taking chances. Too many of us, particularly us Catholics, we just want to stay comfortable. 
There was nothing comfortable about Christ-like and there's not life and there's nothing comfortable about the gospel. Let's talk about the devastating effects of that in everyday Catholic lives. Also, with regard to our spiritual life, I mean, like when we we don't like take a chance for crying out loud in life. Too many people don't. I mean, we go to college, we get married. No one wants to have more than two kids because they're afraid. They're afraid. They're afraid. Let's break it down, like and talk on a, on a more granular level, Phil. <laughs> sure. Well, let me just remind you that the phrase "Do not be afraid" occurs three hundred and sixty-five times. Amen. In the I Bible. love it. <laughs> uh, that's that, once once for each day of the year and on leap year you have one day where you go without it uh, so you can be fearful that when the february 29th i suppose you can be fearful but um but seriously this is the message that the bible is telling you repeatedly now as joe said every day you get in your car and there is a possibility that you'll die in a car wreck and you know that and you've seen the stories about car wrecks and in fact, the possibility that you'll die in a car wreck might be greater than the possibility that you'll die of COVID. Mm. But you make intelligent decisions, you weigh the risks, you probably don't do it every time, but you say, uh, I do wanna get my kids to school, I do need to get groceries, I'll take this small risk. And so why can we not take the same small, manageable, intelligent risks and go about our lives? and? To me, of course, the most important thing, the thing that I found absolutely devastating about the shutdown was the way the churches were shut down. And I'll take a pretty large risk to get to mass because there's nothing more important. And the idea that the churches were closed, that I wasn't even allowed the opportunity to do that was the reason, it's the reason that I wrote this book. You know, it's funny because Joe and I, uh, Joe's my brother-in-law. We live near each other. Um, and uh, we went to mass throughout the whole crisis, believe it or not. But in a parking lot in ShopRite, we call it Our Lady of ShopRite in Lynnhurst, New Jersey. Um, we, I got, got, we got the sacraments, Phil. And, and confession. An 85-year-old priest. Went. And just, I, we're not going to mention do. We're not, we did. And, and, and this priest was, well, I'm not going to mention his name. I don't want him to get into trouble. Yeah, also, we'll, go, yeah, we'll get him in trouble. So we you know, his name. <laughs> um, my dad died during the COVID crisis, not of COVID. He had Parkinson's disease. He was in a bed for 18 months. Um, this same priest would come and give my father uh, communion. He gave my father, my father had confession with him. He gave my mother communion. He gave my mother who took care of my father uh, and she's 80, um, basically the whole entire time bed next to hers. And to this day, I'm indebted to this priest. Um, and I don't want to seem like I'm pushing back with you on this. I mean, the churches did close, but there are legal and, and we could talk about it. I mean, obviously if you're a Bishop, there's lawsuits, um, and you have to be fearful. I get it. But what I'm saying is, and why I bring that up and I'm trying to just be fair I think creative ways could have been applied. Why can't you? One time, Joe and I went to mass in our car. It was like a drive-in theater. Why can't you do that? Why can't you go into a parking lot? Why can't you go into a field? Talk about that, like to try to be like on play both sides or express your opinion any way you want. Well, I couldn't agree with you more. And uh, my hat's off to the priest. And there are plenty of them who found ways to bring the sacraments to people and we are blessed to have a pastor who was one of them, and he was pushing the envelope consistently. He did not break the bishop's orders, but he, well, let, let me just say he pushed the envelope. And so, like you, I don't want to give his name because I don't want to get him in trouble. Now, <laughs> doesn't that tell you something, that we feel like we might get these priests in trouble if we gave their names? What were they doing? They were diligent, and they were energetic, in delivering the sacraments, which is their vocation. They shouldn't be getting in trouble for that. You're they right. Should, they should be praised for that. They should be, they should be promoted for that. Those are the priests I want uh, advancing, you know, being, being seen as the mainstays of their diocese. And yes, there, there were inventive ways to go about delivering the sacraments and there still are, you know, I mean, in Ireland right now, uh, well, I guess, 
it's no longer true this uh, today, but up until recently, it was illegal in Ireland to celebrate mass for the public, for any congregation at all. And there were priests in Ireland who were out at what are called the mass rocks, where they had mass outdoors during the time of persecution under British rule. Um, God bless them for doing that. Uh, and all of the all of the Catholics in Ireland should have been out there at the mass rocks. But of course, it should never have happened that the mass was outlawed. And th there should have been just an, such a groundswell of outrage that the, polit the political authorities wouldn't have even considered doing it. And similarly- Go ahead, Phil, I'm sorry. Uh, just saying the same, you know, <laughs> we need to tell both our civic leaders and our church leaders we want the sacraments and, and we're going to get them. Yeah, so, one, of my, one of my biggest problems, um, and I think this was a, um, a blaring example of, of what the problem is, is um, watching Tucker Carlson last year one night, and he had on our beloved governor, Murphy. I know things are not so great for you guys up there in Massachusetts either. Um, so Murphy was on with Tucker Carlson, and Tucker Carlson asked a question that, that I think is legitimate. He says, what about, what about the Bill of Rights, Governor? What about the right to the free expression of, of, of religion? What about going to mass, going to church? And Murphy's answer, Phil, and the reason why I'm bringing it up was very telling. He said, I spoke to the bishops in New Jersey, okay? And they were all on board. I'm sorry, Phil, that bothers me. And I'm not being disrespectful to the bishops by saying, well, what do you mean you're all on board? Because obviously, and this leads into my question, you wrote, is COVID a dangerous disease? Absolutely. But once we've taken reasonable precautions, it's essential for us as Christians to stop worrying about a force we cannot control. And I think you, you, you hit the proper balance. Necessary precautions, like putting on a scarf and taking vitamin C during flu season, okay, um, mm -hmm. like all of us do, um, and getting on with our lives. Talk about that a little bit, Phil, please. Yeah, well, let me just say, go back to what you said a minute ago or less than a minute ago. Um, one of the things that troubled me most, and I, I mentioned this in the book, is how many bishops did exactly what the governors or mayors or whatever told them to do without pushback, without a fight, uh, without insisting on their rights. And you mentioned here in Massachusetts, we're not living in a rose garden either, but in Massachusetts, we had one case where there was a pastor, I'm sorry to say he was an evangelical, not a Catholic pastor, uh, who sued for, because he, he found the restrictions on worship too, uh, too stringent. And the governor's people, the people representing the governor, he wasn't directly involved, were very anxious to settle the suit and uh, very anxious to relieve the restrictions, to, to ease the restrictions, because I think they knew they were going to lose the lawsuit. So uh, my point being, those restrictions shouldn't have been in place in the first place. However, if they were put in place, then our bishops should have been right on the phone to the governor saying, you can't do this. Mm -hmm. Because as it turns out, when he got a lot of pushback, he backpedaled very quickly. Yeah. So that, that was a telling instance to me. I, I, yeah, I think there were some hopeful signs. You're at the front line with Joe and Joe, Joe Pasillo and Joe Racinello. And when you have Phil Lawler, um, on your show, you are way in the breach on the Veritas Catholic Network. I want to hand it over to Joe Phil. I will say this though, um, along the lines of what you're saying, Bishop DiMarzio um, in Brooklyn and some Jewish rabbis, they sued in New York and they won. So right. there, you know, it was encouraging that during this this time there were those who were fighting back. I'm going to hand it over to Joe. And for our listeners, uh, you know, and and I think we're striking a very good balance here because it says basically to to Phil's exact words, he said, "Is COVID a dangerous disease? Absolutely. But once we've taken reasonable precautions, it is essential for us as Christians to stop wearing." Now, again reasonable precautions. We talked about having mass in a parking lot. We talked about having mass um, in our cars where a priest is on a podium. We even knew a Carmelite priest who we've interviewed, Phil, uh, Father Justin Simonante in New York State, who went on the back of a pickup truck with the Blessed Sacrament and was driven through town. I mean, these are the type of things I would have liked to have seen and were not implemented. So I, I state that statement again for our listeners, because we're not like unreasonable men here. What we're talking about is, yes, 
people died. They, cl- I know people who died, actually. However, I think we could have done a little bit better, and that wasn't done. Let's talk a little bit about uh, the lockdown itself. Do you think it was worse than the disease itself with regard to the faith, Phil? Oh, with regard to the faith, absolutely. I think it was worse than the disease just with regard to the welfare of the people in this country. I think, yeah, there are a lot of people who died of COVID. There are also a lot of people who died because they couldn't get the appropriate medical attention because the hospitals were uh, swamped or or under restrictions. There were people who died because, uh, well, you know, the suicide rate was way up, the drug abuse rate, the domestic violence rate, all these rates, you know, people who are damaged in one way or another, people who are in need and couldn't get the help that they should have had that might've prevented some of those deaths. Uh, Drug addiction problems were up, the suicide lines were jammed. Uh, A lot of people, of course, lost their jobs and that increased the tension on people who already had psychological problems. You had, to me, what was the cruelest thing of all is all of the elderly people who were shut in virtual prisoners in their care facilities. Many of them died and they died without seeing their children, uh, without seeing their loved ones because they were told they had to be isolated. To me, that's, that's, those are the cruelest deaths in this. I would agree with you. I never, I never understood how that, what you just said, and that's been been said now for for over a year, how that always fell on deaf ears, and because it's just so, it's just so true. It's unassail, it's unassailable. Like what you just said is like, well, you're telling me I have to concern myself with those people who die from this bug, but you're telling me I don't have to concern myself. With, uh, with the effects of your lockdowns that are killing people in these areas. And then when you say that, you're dismissed as some sort of a conspiracy nut or something along those lines. You say, no, no, if somebody dies of COVID, it's tragic. If somebody blows their brains out because they're depressed because they lost their job, that's as tragic. Yes. And I, I and, and it's the source of my, I'm, I'm, I'm an angry guy by nature, Phil. I, I don't know if you noticed that. But, yeah. um, but, but what, that's one of the things that bothered me more than anything is nobody would listen when you talked about those lives, don't those lives matter? That that would have been my question. Well, I think to answer that, Joe, I think it was used as a political tool. I mean, anyone with eyes and and you know and paying attention, whether you're a Democrat or a Republican, I mean, it was a political tool. Um, it was useful for the Democrats. It was useful. And let's be blunt. It is. I'm sorry. Uh, so Republicans are a fault too. It's the Democrats. They, 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 they're the ones, they're the ones that push this because of their hatred for Trump. I mean, they, would you agree with that? I Phil? Mean, uh, yeah, I suppose. I mean, you see, I live in, in Massachusetts where we only have one political party really. So well, Jersey's well. The same way. Jersey's the same way. I mean, we're not trying to get political, but both parties took a risk. What I mean by that Trump had open rallies. Biden had circles in a field with seven people. They took a position. And frankly, right. Biden's position won the day because of fear, because of fear. Yeah. I mean, they both have made a calculated choice. Um, and but like I said, all those things that you noted are real and they and people suffered as a result of it. And people ignored it because it was frankly convenient for one side to win a prize. And they did win. Well, Let's, there's more than that, too. You know, we could talk about, well, Sometimes if you talk about the economic consequences of the lockdown, sometimes you criticize, say, well, you know, you, you can't put a value on a human life. But I thought Bishop Paprocki made a very good point that I explain in this, in my book, Contagious Faith, that there are times, you know, in Catholic teaching, uh, there are times when you, uh, of course, you always try to save a human life. You try to save someone who's sick. But Catholic teaching tells us that you don't have to take what are called extraordinary means. You know, if someone is dying, you don't have to go to ridiculous expense and ridiculous lengths to prolong the life of someone who's, who's bound to die anyway. Uh, you're really prolonging the death. And Bishop Paprocki applied that same principle of extraordinary means to the COVID epidemic. 
He said, let's face it, we are doing, what we are doing is extraordinary means. We're shutting down an entire society. We are doing something which, as I've pointed out several times, I think is the most extreme public policy measure ever outside of all-out war. The governments all over the world took actions which they knew would cripple their own economy. They knew would put hundreds of thousands of people out of work cost millions and billions of dollars. And they did this willingly. And why did they do it? You know, what is the justification? It's never been done before. We've had epidemics before. And usually what you try to do is you isolate the people who are sick and you isolate the people who are most vulnerable. This time we tried to isolate the healthy. And it's just an extraordinary means to, to fight a disease which frankly, was not nearly as deadly as it was made out to be. Yeah. Deadly, yes, but it was not, you know, when it first, when we first started reading about this, I was scared. You were probably, everybody was scared at first, but then as you educate yourself, you say, well, it's just, it's not as deadly as it was, as the headlines would suggest. Well, that's a, you mentioned headlines. That's that's another story for another time, Phil. When you come back on the show and we talk about the 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 fact that the the, the press in America is they, they are the enemy of the American people. Um, but we have about we have about three minutes or so to the break. I want to just want to break down a couple things that um, uh, in your book topics you cover in your book. The book is Contagious Faith. Why the Church Must Spread Hope, Not Fear in a Pandemic. Joe and Joe on the front line are having a great conversation with Phil Lawler. Phil, in, a, uh, in about two minutes, two and a half minutes, what's wrong with the virtual church? We mentioned we were in the ShopRite, the, you know, Our Lady of ShopRite um, in, uh, here in Bergen County, New Jersey. What's wrong with the virtual church, Phil? Well, there are two things that really concern me about you know, the live stream mass, the mass on TV, the virtual church. Uh, number one, is it's not the same. You are not there. You are, uh, you're watching. You're not participating actively. And with all of all that that implies, you know, I quote in my book, my friend, Sarah Bamari, who was saying that when he was watching the mass on TV, he had to restrain himself from reaching for the popcorn because that's what he usually does when he's watching, you know, a movie or a ball game on TV. It, it does not, it's not the same experience. You're not coming together as a community either. And the mass is supposed to be for a congregation, not for, and not for a bunch of people isolated in their own dens with their, with their computers on. But beyond that, what worries me is the effect that this will have. Uh, you know, first, it's not the same. You are not attending mass. You're making do. But second, what? What are we going to do? How are we going to walk this back now? For months, we have been told, we Catholics have been told, oh yeah, it's, it's rough that you can't go to mass, uh, but you can watch on TV or mm. you can watch on your computer as if that's just as good. Well, it's not just as good, number one, but number two, how are you going to convince me after I've heard that message for months that now I really should get back to mass because the, the, panic is over and the danger is less and uh, the Sunday obligation is reinstated. How are you going to convince people that it was okay to miss mass for whatever it was, 40 weeks, but now it's a mortal sin to, to miss mass? How are you going to get people back into the church? And if you say, as I've heard now, the church is a reopening, but I hear again and again, uh, priests and bishops saying, well, if, you, if you're not comfortable, that's okay. We still have the live stream. How long does that go before you say, well, if you're not comfortable, maybe you're a hypochondriac and you need to address that and get back into church. Right. I, I, I agree with you. I've been hearing rumblings, um, you know, not to mention anyone in particular, but now there's rumblings. I got, I got, my wife was trying to calm me down because I was like, you're, like I feel like I'm, my, the finger's being wagged at me to, to go back to church. And my immediate response to that is, but the churches were shut down for nine months. And now I'm being told to go back to church. And 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 quite frankly, as Joe said earlier, Phil, we, we made sure we got the sacraments. We did what we had to do. But it's a very, very, very frustrating situation in that regard. Let's take a quick break. You're at the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo and Joe Racinello. We're having a great and important conversation with Phil Lawler. And we're talking about 
why we must, why the church must spread hope and not fear in a pandemic. That is the subtitle of his new book, Contagious Faith. You're listening to us on the Veritas Catholic Network, 1350 on your AM dial, serving the New York metropolitan area. Stick around. Stick around. We'll be back in a couple of minutes. Catholic Radio works. And now we have it here in Connecticut and New York. It's been seen around the country that there's no better tool for evangelization. Where there's Catholic Radio, the folks who listen deepen their faith. Families are strengthened. Parishes and communities flourish. So, let people know you're listening to Veritas. Tell your friends to tune in. And let's make an impact here for Jesus and his church. This is Steve Lee for Veritas Catholic Network. Welcome back, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe, Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello, and we are way in the breach with Phil, excuse me, Phil Lawler discussing his new book, Contagious Faith: Why the Church Must Spread Hope, Not Fear in a Pandemic. With that, I'm handing it over to Joe Resinello. I want to just touch on what we just talked about on the other side of the break, the virtual church, and I'd love to hear your comments, Phil. Um, basically, I could just speak for myself. Obviously, I'm Catholic because of the sacraments. Plain and simple. Christ founded one church. He was one man. And there are the sacraments. I am a Catholic because of the sacraments, because I need the sacraments, because I am a sinner. That's why I am Catholic. Now, the virtual church doesn't do that for me because it does not give me the sacraments. I need the sacraments. Just so our listeners are clear. I need them because I will not be the husband I have to be, the father I have to be, and the man I need to be in life without them. This is a statistic. 30% of our Catholics in America believe that Jesus is truly present in the blessed sacrament, body, blood, soul, and divinity. Now, the dilemma for the bishops, how are you going to convince 70% of Catholics, most of which don't go to church anyway, only 18% of our baptized Catholics, the last statistic I saw in America, actually attend the mass. So basically. Based on those statistics, you have people who don't believe in the efficacy of the sacraments. You said you don't have to go to church. How are you going to convince these people to come back? Now, obviously, the remnant is always going to come back because they believe in in the efficacy of the sacraments. But for that little segment, how are you going to convince them? I'm interested in your comments. Well, several things I want to say there. First, uh, um, like you, I'm a Catholic because I need the sacraments. Uh, also because it's true. Uh, the faith is true. But yeah, I need the sacraments. That's why I'm there. And what's been particularly damaging during the lockdown is to hear leaders of the church tell me I shouldn't be going to Mass, that I'm a danger, you know, that I shouldn't be selfish about, about complaining that the church is a closed down. And that suggests, you know, just as I said if in the first segment, it troubles me that priests who go out of their way to deliver the sacraments were sort of branded as troublemakers. And we who go out of our way to receive the sacraments are troublemakers. And the people who don't make much of the sacraments, they're, the, they're playing nicely in the sandbox. Uh, and if you are happy with the way things are going in the Catholic Church, in our generation, I suppose that's a rational outlook. But you make the point. The way things are going in the Catholic Church these days is not good. We're hemorrhaging people. Uh, young people particularly are leaving. And you know there are more ex-Catholics among the rising generation than there are practicing Catholics. Something is seriously wrong. And this is just exacerbating the problem. The, the lockdown has e- exposed it and exacerbated it. Now, how do you resolve it? Um, well, I'll tell you one way you don't resolve it is by trying to conduct business as usual. Business as usual is not working. It hasn't Amen. been working. I agree, 100%. Something needs to change. And what needs to change? I wish I could tell you in a simple formula. I, I can't, but I can say this, when people who are lax Catholics who don't go to church, start seeing some of us making extraordinary sacrifices to get to church, to get the sacraments, when they recognize how much of a value we put on getting to church, actually getting to church every Sunday, 
or maybe every day, getting to confession regularly and so forth, they'll notice and they'll ask themselves, why am I just going through the, the motions here? But what is it that they find so attractive? And you know, the only answer to that question, what is it that you find so attractive about the mass? The only plausible answer is what you say is the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist. And if you believe that, then of course, you're gonna make an extra effort to get to mass. And that's why I say the faith is contagious. What is not contagious is, as I say, going through the motions, going to mass on Sunday, uh, because you've been told to go to mass, because it's what you always do, because you you know uh, the kids are in CCD and you want to give a good example. Those are not contagious reasons, but the true faith is contagious, and if you if you show it and live it, other people are going to have to pay attention. Phil, amen, brother. I just want to comment one sec, Joe. I think it's so important to emphasize to our audience out there at the Veritas Catholic Network. So important what Phil just said. There's so many problems out there. Obviously, speaking and opening your mouth and speaking the truth, which Phil, Joe, and I say all the time on the show, the greatest counter-revolutionary act you could commit right now is to open your mouth and speak the truth. That's obviously uh, a very important thing is, is, is to speak the truth in this in this this dark, dark culture that we live in. However, I'm gonna I want to just emphasize your point, put a finer point on, on what you said, is that if we're not living it. You could you could screech for, scream from the mountaintops. People need to see it. They need to see it. I'm glad you brought up that point. That will be ultimately, along with what you know, how we you know speak and on the all of these different issues, that will be contagious. People will say, "I need I need a little bit more of that." But it starts it starts with us. It starts with prayer, penance, Eucharist, sacraments, living and living a life where you're you're growing in holiness. So I'm so happy that you made that point. And Phil, you touched on uh, uh, some good points and I, I wanna hammer one of them home. I mean, what could we do, you say, what could we do? And, and there's so many things that need to be done, but I think one of the most important things we as Catholics can do is have Eucharistic adoration because people don't understand, the statistics prove it. 30% of baptized Catholics only believe in the true presence. <clears throat> Christ speaks to the hearts of men and women. You're an educated guy, and frankly, so, you know, Joe and I are educated as well. We live in, you know, suburban New York City. People have kids. The priority isn't the mass. The priority is send your kids to a good high school so they get into a good college and they make a lot of money. Kids want to play football, baseball, basketball, not going to church. Why? They don't see the value. They have to see it in us, and it's the Eucharist that does it. Confession that does it. It has to be made, I think it has to happen. Adoration, frequent confessions. Talk about that as Catholics. Obviously, it was fruitful in your life, Phil. We met your wife. She, we did an interview with her. Wonderful woman. You guys had seven kids. You have 16 grandkids. If I live across the street from you, I'm like, the Lawlers are on point. I love them. Talk about that example. You know, can I just say, yeah, uh, on, a, on a just an natural everyday level, uh, we have found, and we have a lot of friends who live around us who are very serious Catholics, very faithful Catholics, who have big families. People want to come over to our house and have parties. Because I we believe it. Because, you know, you see that these are people who are having fun in life. But on a, on a more serious level, and again, a point I try to make in Contagious Faith is, if you leave serious Catholics alone and you tell them there is a disease abroad and you want them to take precautions and calculate risks. Well, speaking for myself, as I said earlier, I will take a lot of risk to get to mass. I won't take a whole lot of risk to get to say a ball game. I'm, I'm a baseball fan. I like to go to a game. Right now, I don't feel comfortable going to a game, but I'm willing to take that risk to get to mass. And if we had been allowed to make our own calculations, take our own risks, I think a lot of people would have noticed, gee, those people put a very high priority on going to mass. And then you've got to ask yourself, why? Why is it more important to them, more important for them to get to mass than to get to the ball game? And they, you're, <laughs> you're, you're headed in the right direction. You're now asking the right questions. And I want to, Joe, I want to, 
pick up on something that you said about Eucharistic adoration, because several years ago, I was asked to uh, edit a book of essays about things that were working in the church, things that were demonstrably bringing people to the faith. And I sent out, I said, okay, I'm going to, I have maybe 25, 30 friends who I respect. I sent an email message to them and said, what do you think are the most important initiatives bringing people into more active life in the Catholic faith? Overwhelmingly, the answer was Eucharistic adoration, overwhelmingly number one on the list. And I give talks, well, I used to give talks before, back when people were invited to hear talks. <laughs> uh, and I bring that up a lot. And I challenge people in the audience to give me one example of a parish where they started Eucharistic adoration and didn't have wonderful things happen to that parish. And so far, nobody's given me one example. Uh, but I'll, I'll give you a caution. A lot of times a parish starts Eucharistic adoration and wonderful things happen. They, not the wonderful things that they had hoped for, <laughs> different wonderful things, uh, but always wonderful things happen. It's, that is uh, you know, a secret weapon that we should be using more often. Oh, I that, agree. Absolutely. <clears throat> Phil, we want to get into a, a couple more topics. We're at the front line with Joe and Joe, Joe Pasillo, Joe Racinello. We're on the phone with Phil Lawler, and we're discussing his new book, or we have discussed his new book, um, um, Contagious Faith, Why the Church Must Spread Hope, not fear in a pandemic. And Phil, we're so happy to have you on because there's a couple of topics that Joe wanted to, Joe and I wanted to talk to you about. But before we get into those, where can folks go out and buy your book? Well, I hope you can get it everywhere, bookstores everywhere. Um, the, the simplest thing to do is to look at the publisher's website. If you're online, sophiainstitute.com, that's sophiainstitute.com. And you will you can buy it direct from the publisher. Um, the price on the Sophia Institute Press site is exactly the same as the price on Amazon. The difference is that you're not giving any money to Amazon. Amen. I love it. I, and and by the way, just so everybody knows out there, uh, we want you to go out and buy Phil's book, Sophia Institute. You should have bookmarked on your computer when you're looking to buy a book that that has anything to do with the Catholic faith. If it's something that's worth reading, Sophia Institute's going to have it. Um, so yeah, so please go out and buy Phil's book. Thank you for that, Phil. So with that, I'm going to hand it over to Joe. Phil, we're going to talk abortion for a second because it's in the news, um, a lot, particularly surrounding, um, Biden. Uh, the USCCB is making some waves lately. Um, they're getting very public with regard to their statements, particularly Gomez and Archbishop Corleone out in San Francisco. Um, basically, could you comment on that for a little bit? I think what they're doing now is great. It, uh, it's a good thing. Absolutely. Um, what are they trying to accomplish and why now are they getting so vocal? What they're trying to accomplish is convince people that if you are a public figure, a politician who supports abortion, you cannot call yourself a good Catholic. You should not call yourself a good Catholic. Um, you should not you should not be receiving the Eucharist because you have separated yourself uh, from you're at odds with the church that you claim to to belong to. And this obviously is a big issue now because we have someone who claims to be a devout Catholic as president of the United States, and he's not only supporting abortion, he's promoting it. He's accepting, you know, uh, Planned Parenthood endorsements, and he's endorse, in turn endorsing Planned Parenthood. He's attacking the conscience rights of doctors who don't want to, and nurses and other healthcare personnel who don't want to be involved in abortion. So he, he is actively attacking uh, the dignity of human life, which is one of the bedrock principles of Catholic moral teaching. So the bishops would like to make it clear that you cannot be a good Catholic and be pro-abortion. You cannot claim what Biden is claiming. And obviously, this is a debate that's been going on in the Catholic Church for decades now. It's come to a head because we have a pro-abortion Catholic president. And we have a very distinct divide 
among the bishops. There are some, as you mentioned, Archbishop Cordelioni sort of taking the lead right now uh, in emphasizing that you cannot do what Biden is doing, what Nancy Pelosi is doing, who's in Archbishop um, Cordelioni's archdiocese. Um, we are expecting a debate at the next meeting of the US Bishops Conference in June about a national statement that would bring more clarity to this issue. And I guess I welcome the debate, but as I've said several times, we're past the point where one more statement will solve this problem. We are all looking for action, I think. We're looking for a bishop who will say, you know, I can no longer just talk about this. I've got to say, you, Nancy Pelosi, or you, Joe Biden, cannot receive communion. And that is where the rubber hits the road. Bill, mm. I agree with you 100% on everything you said. Let me first say that. Secondly, you're a lot smarter than me. And I want to say what I feel is the, the, the crux of the conversation. And if I'm wrong, please correct me. The canon is 915. It's clear. The bishops, I believe the U.S. bishops in 1998 made a very strong statement about intrinsic evils and abortion is one of them. It's clear. John Paul II also wrote extensively on it. He's a saint. He was canonized in six years. It's clear. Why is there a debate? Now, I'm a simple guy. My father was a barber. I'm a simple guy. I'm a blue collar guy. I work hard. I have four kids. My wife's having her fifth. We work hard. I don't get it. I don't get it. And that's coming from the blue collar guy. If I'm wrong, please tell me. Am I being too harsh? I'm just voicing my, I guess, frustration and opinion. My dad, who was a barber, used to say, I have to follow the rules. Why does the guy who's a powerful guy not have to? He actually used to say that. Yeah, on the heels of that, I would ask you, Phil, then why, why in your opinion, why does there have to be a debate on this? There has to be a debate on it because there are some bishops who do not agree with you, with the two of you and with me. And who there are some bishops who are very actively saying, if you uh, bar someone from communion because he's pro-abortion, you are going to also have to bar from communion someone who disagrees with the Catholic Church on issues like capital punishment or welfare reform or immigration, which is a misleading argument because those are not the same sorts of issues. There are issues like, I mean, welfare reform is, is a classic example in my mind. There is a principle of Catholic moral teaching that you have to take care of the poor. We all have an obligation to take care of the poor. We all also have different ideas of what's the best way to take care of the poor. It's a matter of judgment. And on that judgment, Catholics differ. On the matter of whether or not you should kill innocent human beings, there's no room for that sort of disagreement. They're not the same sort of issues. And similarly with immigration, yes, we should be humane in our treatment of people who are homeless. Uh, but how do you do it? That's a prudential matter hmm. on which the Catholic Church doesn't have you know, a, a final authoritative answer. On abortion, it's clear as day. And Joe referred to Canon 915 Canon 915 doesn't say that priests may have the right to receive, refuse communion to people who are in manifest grave sin. It's, it's a duty. And so uh, to me, this is as clear a case as you're going to have in a matter of church discipline. And the fact that uh, too many bishops are bobbing and weaving uh, and looking for ways to avoid a showdown. It's just making it so much harder. You know, as I say, the faith is contagious, but it's contagious when you get the real faith, when you get the 86 proof version, not the watered down version. Yeah. The, excuse me, version. Yeah. I agree. And I mean, like I said, it, it, it was stated clearly, you know, it's an intrinsic evil and people talk about the poor. Who's more poor than a child in the womb? Joe and I say this on our show constantly. Mother Teresa said that a child in the womb is the poorest of the poor. My wife is pregnant with our fifth child. 
without my wife feeding that child through her body, the child dies. It is the poorest of the poor, a child in the womb. We as a church have a right to defend that. We have to. Joe, we have only, uh, we only, I'm we have limited, we have, no, I know. <laughs> we have limited time. And I, I do want to talk to Phil. I want to get into another topic that's in the news recently. So Phil, let's pivot to a different, uh, different problem, homosexual unions. So this is from the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith. It, quote, it is not listed to impart a blessing on relationships or partnerships, even stable, that involve sexual activity outside of marriage. Um, I'll just go on from there. Why, Phil, please explain this to our audience, because it's very important. This is not a matter of choice. Why is it that the church cannot confer blessings on same-sex unions? Uh, well, two things. First, you can't convey the idea, you can't accept the idea that a same-sex union is equivalent to a marriage. It's not. That's, that's one of the falsehoods that we are asked to accept and asked to proclaim. You know, we are asked, we're under pressure to accept the idea and proclaim the idea that a man who, who is united with another man is married the same way you are married to your wives. It, it's not the same. It is not the institution of marriage. Marriage is an institution that was established by God, not by the church, uh, not by the state. Uh, and it involves a man and a woman, and it involves procreation. It's oriented towards procreation, which is impossible in a same-sex relationship, ordinary procreation, normal, healthy procreation. Um, you also can't bless a union that's based on an unnatural sexual activity. You know, you could you could bless a friendship, but you can't bless a sexual union that's, you know, that's illicit, that's a violation of natural law. You know, you know, and I agree with you as a dad, I have three sons, you have seven children. I'm sure you have some sons scattered in there. If your son was living <laughs> with his girlfriend and they came, you know, over for Thanksgiving and you know, they're having sex, would you bless that relationship? I know you wouldn't. Neither would I. No way. No way. It's the same thing. It's it's not licit. It's not licit. Joe, I had a follow-up question real quick. Again, I'm sorry, because no. we have limited time. But Phil, here's another question, because this is obviously causing a problem. So this is from the Wall Street Journal. Catholic clergy are preparing to bless gay couples across Germany. Here comes Germany again, okay? Why, Phil, in your view, why are the Germans doing this? And moreover, why are they allowed to get away with this? Yeah, well, that was this week, and it's happened, May 10th. There was all across German diocese, priests were giving their blessings to same-sex unions in an open and clear defiance of the Vatican. So here you have them pr pushing us right to the brink of schism, saying that we are not accepting Vatican authority. And uh, the Vatican has to respond to this. You know, you... you you cannot, the German church is in big trouble and has been in big trouble for a long time. They are hemorrhaging. I spoke earlier about how we're hemorrhaging young people in Germany. It's hundreds of thousands of formally renouncing their Catholic faith every year. Uh, but the German church continues to go down the road towards liberalization and secularization and embracing the values of the society around them, which is, I think, suicide for the church. But now we, we have a situation where the German church is rejecting what the Vatican tells us, what the rest of the Catholic world believes. And it just really requires a response from Rome. Absolutely. Phil, we're, we're from New Jersey and uh, there's a school in New Jersey that's uh, fairly close to where Joe and I live. It's called Immaculate Heart Academy. I'm not picking on them, but they were in the news recently. IHA costs about 20 grand a year to send your daughter there. Um, recently, they, they sent out like an alumni magazine and they were celebrating uh, a homosexual marriage of one of, uh, you know, the ladies that grad, the young women that graduated from that high school. Again, very prestigious school. A lot of those kids go to fancy, you know, colleges. It's in Northern Bergen County. Um, obviously, this is problematic. Obviously, um, it's controlled by the Archdiocese of Newark, um, IHA. Uh, 
where could Catholic parents find authentic Catholic education? I mean, I, you know, obviously it's a concern. I have young children. It's a concern of mine. Um, let's talk solutions. Phil, we got about four minutes just to give you a heads up. Okay, thanks. Well, if you're looking for authentic Catholic education, you have to look pretty hard. You have to, you have to look, you know, you have to look under the cover. Uh, you can't just look at the at the dust jacket of this book. You have to go inside and see what's going on. Um, there are lots of very good Catholic schools, and it's interesting how many of them have been set up uh, in the last generation by lay people. Uh, I would advise against Catholic parents assuming that the local Catholic school is authentically Catholic. Ask questions. Ask tough questions. Ask questions about the sort of situation you just brought up. What would they do in that situation? But you'll find, uh, I don't know where you are, whether you can find them right around where you are, but certainly I can tell you about schools up around where I am that are founded by Catholic parents that are authentically Catholic. And by the way, very good schools as well. I'm more knowledgeable about Catholic colleges. And you know, since roughly 1970, I suppose, uh, call it the last 50 years, there's been just a boom in small Catholic colleges teaching the liberal arts and being really radically committed to the Catholic faith from Thomas Aquinas College, Thomas More College, Christendom College, Franciscan University at Steubenville, Wyoming Catholic. I'm probably leaving out a few that I should mention, uh, but they're for real Catholic. Mm. And if you look for them, you'll find them. And Phil, one uh, one final question. We got a couple minutes. So America obviously has been and is continuing to become more and more secular. Um, it's actually gone beyond what even you could call secular. We could, Joe and I on the show call it the bizarro world. We don't even know what kind of world we're living in right now. But having said that, um, how in your view, Phil, in about a minute and a half, what can faithful Catholics do to uh, help to begin to change this cultural shift, uh, which obviously, you know, is going to affect the entire nation. What could we be doing? Um, give us a couple of examples. Well, live your faith. Uh, stay close to the sacraments. Pray. Find Catholic friends uh, and hang out with them and spend your, maybe spend Sunday afternoons with them uh, and support each other. You need a support system. You know, we are out there in battle these days. You need, you, it's awfully tough to do it by yourself. It, you're, so, you're so much better off if you have friends and neighbors who you can count on for, for support. The, those days when you wake up and you say, are you crazy? Am I crazy? You know, is it worth it? And they can give you some support and maybe some suggestions and, and your kids can play with their kids and meet their kids and have healthy. You don't worry about what's going on. Uh, when they're together. I, I also recommend all of us make some decisions, some tough decisions, and make, your, make some promises to yourself. Get together with your wives, uh, get together with your older children, and say, here are the lines we're not going to cross. Here are the things we're not going to give up on. And do it before there's a crisis. So when the crisis comes, you say, oh, this is, this is the line that I promised I wasn't going to cross. This is the point where I'm ready to take a stand. We often, I hear from friends, well, that's not the hill that I want to die on. And my response to them is, okay, which hill are you willing to die on? Because if you can't tell me that answer, my suggestion is you're not willing to die. And bad news, you're going to anyway. <laughs> Joe Pacillo says that all the time Phil we gotta leave it right there brother where can people buy your book one more time Phil Contagious Faith what Catholics need is to spread hope not fear in a pandemic where can people find the book and find your articles Phil you look at sophiainstitute.com to buy Contagious Faith and you see me pretty much every weekday on catholicculture.org excellent and we encourage here at the, uh, the front line with Joe and Joe, we encourage everyone to look up Phil Lawler and read what he has to write. 
Trust me, you're going to be enlightened. It's going to be helpful for you. So thank again, thank you again, uh, Phil Lawler. Thank you, dear brothers and sisters, for joining us at the front line with Joe and Joe on the Veritas Catholic Network, bringing the truth of the Catholic faith to the New York metropolitan area, 1350 on your AM dial. For all Veritas content, please be sure to follow Joe and I, or excuse me, uh, please be sure to download the Veritas Catholic Network mobile app, and please be sure to follow Joe and I on Facebook and YouTube until they shut us down, of course. Like, subscribe, share, hit the little bell, all that fun stuff. And remember, until the next time, that our conversation is your conversation. And that conversation is going on everywhere. We'll talk to you soon. <laughs>